to Wallowing in the Shallows, the podcast that skirts the perilous drop-off of a deep dive into television and movies. We are academic nerds aspiring to become TV and movie geeks. There are no spoiler guards in the shallows, so listen at your own risk. This week, join us for a wallow in a Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1 rewatch. Hey, hello, peeps, and welcome to Wallowing in the Shallows. This is Tori. And Rebecca, and we are taking a look back at the entire first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So exciting. Yes, I'm ready to award some awards. Oh, oh awarding awards. Yes, I have mm-hmm. a few of those, too. No surprise. Um, so what did you think, kind of just in an overall manner, about this first season well i must say that i think the season continued to improve they hit their stride as the ensemble moved along and i'm very excited to see season two because the first episode i just as i was reflecting back on the first episode and thinking Mm -hmm. how it was a little campy and Mm -hmm. a little bit forced maybe a little mm-hmm. bit throwing the the characters together mm-hmm. by the end of this first season i felt they had gelled and i loved cordelia's interaction with everybody mm-hmm. and i cared about the characters and that's where you want to be in order to continue a season continue yeah. the next season i wrote down something similar about it was very clear in those first few episodes that the actors and maybe even the directors, right? Didn't really know where the characters were at, like in their in their lives. So, and that kind of came through, but I agree they really nailed it as the season went on. And I really think maybe they really start to hit their stride in the pack. And yes. then I think by the puppet show, they've all really kind of got it nailed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that it's not, I guess I'm not too surprised about that because this was a mid-season filler. You know, they were only under contract for 12 episodes. And I imagine it would have been kind of hard to kind of come in and do that. But I think for a mid-season filler, mm-hmm. or what was this on the WB? Hmm. It, it was pretty strong overall. And of course, it finished super strong. Yes. I'm not sure, though, if it hadn't had that kind of campy feel that maybe appealed to a certain age that the series would have survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I well, think campy things become cult classics. They do. They do. And as a matter of fact, well, I don't want to go. I'm going to come back to that in one sec because I've already lost what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, no, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Oh, no, I was going to, I know what I was going to say, because this did appeal. I mean, like I said, I was in graduate school and I learned about it from graduate students. And I think if it hadn't had this very strong female protagonist that was kicking butt, it wouldn't have appealed to like an older audience of women. Yes. Yes. And that's a completely independent piece from the campiness. Right. Exactly. I think, I think you are hitting on the piece that uh, that really strikes a chord with me 
right. and that pulls me in more than the campiness. Though I love Rocky Horror Picture Show as much as the next person. Right. <laughs> that that's a perfect example of campiness gone cult classic. Exactly. I was doing a little bit of reading and I found a little factoid that I did not know and that Whedon said he was influenced by this movie from 1984 called Night of the Comet, which is one of those campy B-level cult classic movies. Have you ever seen it? No. I remember watching it. I don't know when. If It, it must have been in the 80s because I kind of remember being in Toledo when I watched it. I kind of have a memory of going into the video store and renting it. Wow. On VHS. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> There's a Be kind, rewind. Exactly. Exactly. And this was, it had a couple, like one actor I recognized even back then. I knew her from a couple, actually, I think The Last Starfighter. Did you ever see The Last Starfighter? That sounds familiar, but I can't think of anything other than that. Uh, it's about this kid who's really good at like an early arcade video game. And it happens to be set up at the trailer park where he and his family live. And this alien comes down and turns out the Starfighter's game is basically like a test to find good pilots. Okay. Okay. If if I haven't seen it, I've definitely heard the premise. Okay. Okay. Well, anyways, Mary Catherine Stewart, I'm sorry, Catherine Mary Stewart is in both of those movies. And I think the reason I probably went and got Night of the Comet is because I saw The Last Starfighter, which I really liked a lot. And so when I saw she was in this other one, I went. But Night of the Comet, I'm going to read you the little IMDb blurb. So Please I don't do. mess it up. It's super short. A comet wipes out most of life on Earth, leaving two valley girls fighting against cannibal zombies and a sinister group of scientists who want to experiment on the survivors to find an antidote. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, and one of, like, the younger sister played by Kelly Maroney, whose name meant nothing to me, and I think the only reason I recognize her is because I saw this movie. She's a cheerleader, this blonde cheerleader, and, you know, their dad is a Marine, I think, and on assignment in, like, El Salvador, somewhere in Central America, destabilizing the government, I'm sure, and he taught them, like, self-defense and how to shoot all different kinds of weapons and so they kind of are these two young women kicking butt and taking wow. no names <laughs> 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 they don't care about the names so no, I've, was, i definitely haven't seen this it's well it's funny because i found it on youtube <laughs> and i remember liking it when i watched it back in the 80s but it, evidently some of my what I like in my campy movies seems to have changed a little bit as I've aged and I didn't quite <laughs> enjoy it as much. In fact, I got like halfway through it and I had to go leave for game night and I didn't even bother watching yeah. the rest of it. I'm like, uh, it's just not as fun as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was one of his big influences, which I thought was really interesting because it is, and I think maybe yeah. that's where a lot of the early camp comes from, not mm -hmm. just the original Buffy movie, but also because of this influence of Night of the Comet. And then some of his influence for like character traits, I guess, in Buffy yes. come from, and these, 
Two of the names won't surprise you. I actually burst out laughing when I heard the third one. We'll see how, what your reaction is. So Sarah Connor. Yes. Oh, well, Sarah Connor. Right. Of Terminator fame. Of, of Terminator fame. I mean, okay. and who doesn't love Sarah Connor? Oh, oh. I wanted to be Sarah Connor. Oh, I'm in Terminator 2. She oh, was my gosh. so buff in Terminator 2. I was like, good Lord, Linda. You have really not bulked up she just was like buffed up mean, just buffed up machine. buffed up badass yeah yeah, yeah. and then it. another influence was ripley okay sure sigourney weaver sigourney weaver alien aliens etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i will not get off on an alien aliens tangent i promise and the third one are you ready for this i'm ready oh uh, jimmy stewart what yes. i forgot to write down like the article i found this from i burst out laughing i'm i'm confused i'm just <laughs> well, stunned i'm I, stunned yes but when we i mean what do we think about when we think about jimmy stewart right he's kind of like this all-american guy very nice conscientious of others caring okay okay i mean that's all i can think about i'm like what else is there of jimmy stewart that could apply to buffy terrible imitations (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna try to do a jimmy stewart accent Uh, ill-advised ill-advised very much so even as I started to say the Jimmy, I was like, don't do it. It's going to sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I thought all that was super interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no wonder, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Sarah Connors and Ripley. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. the iconic badass mm-hmm. early women, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Stewart's lucky to get thrown in the mix. <laughs> yes. He wishes he could be as cool. As yeah. That. And maybe it's the dedicate. Oh, sorry. Mr. Smith goes to Washington popped into my head. So maybe it's that kind of dedication. Okay. Part of okay. it as well. I don't know. Yeah. Don't it's interesting that. because the other two, I, I guess uh, also the other two are characters. Right. 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 Roles. It right. is not Sigourney Weaver. It right. is Ripley. Right. Uh, it is not Linda Hamilton. Right. It is Sarah Connors. So. Right. Just to hear you say Jimmy Stewart just sort of struck me as well because this was a real person. Right. So. Right. And I don't, I mean, I don't ever remember hearing anything bad about Jimmy Stewart. Right. In his personal life or anything like that. So I don't know. But it did make me laugh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I also found a couple of uh, research articles about Buffy. Ooh, Nice. I was going to send you the one, but it had spoilers for season two and three. And I was like, oh, I can't send Thank it to you. her. Thank you for protecting me. The reason I wanted to send it to you, though, is because here's the title of the article. It's from 2022, so it's pretty recent, by Carmelo Galati. And it's called okay. Abandon All Hope, Ye Who Enter High School, Dante's oh. Comedia and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my gosh. You know, this is timely. I Mm -hmm. love this because Mm -hmm. from Dante's Inferno, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, the Commedia is the divine 
the divine comedy right mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so and that's a good point i in and i'm a i i really do think it's inferno the first of the three books because okay. you know you wouldn't abandon hope all ye who enter here to go to paradise <laughs> hell seems the most appropriate one yeah and that's the one i've read oh uh, okay more than once and so i'm quite sure it's from that one uh well and here i can display my ignorance is i just thought it was all one book but the divine well, comedy is a series of books well it it could be all one book, but when you find them today, it's usually three books of uh, Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso, or Paradiso. Ah, and together so, it's the Comedia. That's exactly right. Got it. Got it. Oh, I've learned something new. Boop, boop, and boop. I must tell you, you should really read the Inferno. It is interesting. The other two, I think, are boring. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but... I think the first one is definitely worth reading and (laughs) it is just, it's kind of chilling and wild. Now it refers to a bunch of Italian aristocrats that are in hell or whatever, but Mm -hmm. they don't matter. They don't matter. This sort of depiction of the nine circles of hell Mm -hmm. is just fascinating. And a lot of art has drawn upon it, right? Right. Including here, you just are mentioning this quote. So very cool. Yeah, it was, they kind of went through this whole list of characteristics that they share, not necessarily specific themes, right? I mean, it doesn't get down to like the nine circles or anything like that, but more of almost like a literary, literary pieces of it. So they talk about both of them are dramatic, both of them are episodic, mosaic, dynamic, active, concrete, social, metaphysical rhetorical and dialectical hmm. but i and i i mean it's not like they didn't get into anything more specific because they did talk about the episode witch and talked about laws of retribution oh and, yeah most and definitely. i don't know th- this might make sense to you it made absolutely no sense to me because i haven't read it um they talked about Catherine's entrapment is you know Catherine the great the cheerleader mom is yes. kind of equivalent to peer p-i-e-r and responsible for her own undoing and they talk about the woods of suicide in inferno 13 okay none of Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me but i wanted to bring it up because i was like well maybe rebecca will remember because i knew you'd read it and you'd liked inferno yes and i'm not remembering that particular character but i definitely remember there was a circle of the those who had taken their own lives oh yeah So, yeah, and it's interesting because there is this dissension that you descend Mm -hmm. into the Inferno and that where do they, where's the hell mouth, right? Right. That is below and this kind of below above. And if I'm not mistaken, there is a, you know, usually you go to hell and you can't come back. Right. right. But right. this guy is taken down there for a tour, if you will. <laughs> and so he's got a guide that takes him through and then allows him to return. Oh, So kind of interesting. I'm just trying to tie that thinking about Buffy going down to the master. But there's no battle. I mean, it's not like right. Satan gets defeated. And, right. Right. You know, so. But but anyway, just I I when 
when Buffy goes down there and then does return, that just kind of made me think hmm. think about that. And now I don't because I stopped reading because I didn't want to like read something that had to do with season two or three and accidentally let it slip. So I'm, I don't know if he, if this author talked about that at all, but that makes a lot of sense to yeah. me based on the little bit that I gleaned through our conversation. You know, it also, I mean, I just saw The Tempest today mm -hmm. and that has the line, hell is empty and all the devils are here. Oh, wow. And so this is really making me think of that <laughs> as well. Yeah. In connection with the vampires coming up and, you know, they've left the master's lair and here they are. Oh, I love that. Landed the living as opposed to being down. So, yeah, one of the Tempest filled with amazing lines that everybody would recognize. Things like Brave New World. Um, but anyway. Uh, that is such a cool line. And it is from The Tempest. Huh. Very apropos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found a couple other articles that I thought were kind of interesting. The one, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it was very um, feministic theory. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that. It's just I we could talk about it for like the next two hours. Sure. That detail. But I did like this article. It's from 1999. So when the series was at its peak really and it's from all the journal of popular film and television again by a susan owen don't know what her first name the a stands for but it's called buffy the vampire slayer vampires post-modernity and post-feminism mm -hmm. but the one thing that really caught my eye in this particular article is that the author was using angel and talking about beauty and the beast but how angel kind of embodied the beauty and the beast all in one character wow which i that thought is, was fascinating that is really fascinating beauty and the beast yeah that's cool that's really yeah. cool yeah and in that article there's of course a ton of discussion about buffy and what she embodies uh, with strength and power and assertiveness mm -hmm. which we have never seen and right a teenage girl character on television before so that was pretty cool and i love this quote she talks about buffy's embodied strength power and assertiveness destabilized the traditionalist masculinist power of the vampire character and then she goes on to say policing those who prey upon the feminine wow i was like that's a nice quote I love it. I love that policing line. I was like, that's awesome. And then the last article I found, which I really want to go back and I'm going to read much more carefully, okay. is by John Stratton from 2005. So right about at the end of the series. And it's in television and news media called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, What Being Jewish Has to Do With It. Oh, wow. So I... Well, number one, I have to, I could only really read like a synopsis of this article because the full journal article wasn't online. So I actually have to order it through the library to see if mm -hmm. I can get it, which is another reason, which is actually the reason I didn't read the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was available to me. But from the little bit that I could read, this really blew my mind because nothing this guy was saying had popped into my head at all. And he talks about how he found it very interesting that they 
cast a Jewish actor to play the Anglo-American hero, mm-hmm. and that they cast the Anglo-American actor to play the Jewish character. So kind of flipping that. And of course, he talked about how the master has Nazi characteristics, which I picked up. Did we okay. we, we mentioned that at all? Not at all. Okay. Because I always kind of got that vibe. The only time I think Nazism came up was when there was like a swastika in Xander's dream. And yeah, and he was afraid show. of, yeah. He was afraid of Nazis more mm-hmm. than spiders, mm-hmm. but we didn't go. I don't think we went too deeply with that. Hmm. Well, this is a huge critique on the show's whiteness. And well, that's Str- that's apt. Yes. And Stratton suggests the show's quote, whiteness is a product of a generalized white anxiety about the numerical loss of white dominance across the u.s end quote and i was like dude i never interpreted buffy this way wow it was really kind of blowing my mind i was like i have to read this full article has there been anyone of color in the show this entire first season well aura okay the screamer okay okay wow but yeah i mean I'm trying to think, I don't really remember seeing any Latinx characters Mm -hmm. or Asian characters. Interesting. I would definitely have to look back, but I am, I'm upset with myself that I didn't, well, you know, I mean, it's, the awareness is so much stronger now. And thank goodness efforts are really being made to be representational. Right, (laughs) right, right. But at this time... I think, you know, you get so involved in the awesomeness of this young teenage girl kicking right. ass that you don't really look deeper mm-hmm. beyond mm-hmm. that because you think you like being deep by recognizing that. But yeah, I've just, this didn't even really cross my mind. And, you know, that's representation right there for me right? Mm-hmm. It's like seeing this female badass. So of course I glom onto that because mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, finally. Right. right. <laughs> so that's just a perfect example of when you see yourself right. in a character right. and that feels really good. Right. Right. And has the power to be inspirational and motivational right. and all of those great things. Right. You know, and I grew up in a predominantly white community And that's what I'm used to seeing is Mm -hmm. mostly white people around from my hometown. You know, it wasn't until I moved to, and even when I moved to Toledo, there was still, it was predominantly white people that came into the place that I worked, that lived around me. So yeah, I just didn't even see it. I just want to, may I circle back for a moment? Yes. I want to go back to the Divine Comedy and the Inferno. I'm just going to put it out there that it's going to be interesting to see. So the very final circle of hell where Satan is, spoilers, Mm -hmm. spoilers for anybody who has not read the thousand year old, (laughs) 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 is frozen. It's Uh frozen where Satan is. 
It is not hot. It is not burning. It's a frozen. Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised. You've maybe seen it depicted in art as well. Right. And so I don't see anything with that, with the master. Right. But I just wonder if cold will have any significance anywhere along the Buffyverse way. Because I just think that's a, I just think that's very cool and a little counterintuitive when people think they might think that as you get deeper and deeper into hell, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Yeah, because that's well, that's the Christian mythology, which right. makes it interesting then that Dante talked about it being frozen, went another direction. Yeah, yeah. because one assumes being in Italy. When was this thirteenth, fourteenth century that the Commedia was published? I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to answer that. That's why I was having a hard time estimating how old it was. The Divine (laughs) Comedy published. One good thing about having a computer sitting in front of you, 1308. Okay. So I was in the right centuries. Yeah. I mean, that would have been totally Christian Italy at that point, Catholic Italy. So that's interesting. Now I want to learn more about that. Yeah, we might have to have a little book club where we read it together. I would love to, I would definitely read it again if I could talk talk about it with somebody because it's it's just it's interesting. It's just mm-hmm. interesting and is is filled with this sort of very bizarre imagery that is really is really juicy and deep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised okay. I didn't have to read it in college. <laughs> I didn't have to read it for anything. Mm. I read it on my own. Mm. I have avoided it on my own. (laughs) Under understandable, understandable. It's not. uh, I think when people are thinking about what they want to read next, it doesn't automatically come up to the top of the list. Well, it is. It's a creepy one. I mean, it's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think if I could read Italian, I would love to read it in the Italian. Oh, sure. Instead of reading it someone's translation translated mm-hmm. yeah but i did think i mean when i found that article i was like what that's cool that they were putting those two things together mm-hmm. well those are some great papers thanks for sharing those those uh pieces and very cool that writers found so much inspiration from the show mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. chose to really dig in and write papers about it there were more articles I found, but some of them are about later seasons, and I didn't want to go there. We'll circle back, right? We will After circle back. After we get a few more seasons under our belts. Yes, absolutely. After we do season three, I'm going to send you that Dante article because I saved it. I have it in, oh. in a little file. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really glad you did. I will be interested in reading that. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the main characters a little bit. Okay. See how their character arcs progressed from season one to season, or season one to season 12, season episode one to episode 12. Yes. All right. Let's, do you have one that you want to start with or should we just start with the obvious? Let's just start with the obvious. Okay. We'll go with the titular character then. Sounds good. I just wanted to say titular. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And I don't know if you have this on the top of your head, but I thought it would be worth re-examining the heroine's journey that ah. you mentioned. You've mentioned kind of throughout to see 
how much we see that in this first season. Because from what I could remember, I was like, oh, yeah, I think we have hit some of those phases. Yes. And I had meant to look at that when I was putting together my thoughts on Buffy's arc. And, you know, never went back to it for some reason or another. So now I'm just looking kind of quickly. Here we go. But we, So we don't want to do Campbell's hero's journey, right? We want to look at what's her faces. I'll get her name here momentarily. Yes, that's what I was thinking of, though I suppose it'd be, yeah. well, yeah, yeah because we you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Maureen Murdoch, who first kind of came up with the heroine's journey. And then we talked about Victoria Lynn Mitt's riff on Murdoch's heroine's journey. So Schmidt. There was the the heroine's journey. She starts out with illusion of the perfect world and then betrayal or disillusionment, then the awakening, then the descent, then the eye of the storm, then the all is lost, support, rebirth, and return to a new world. Mm. So again, in episode one, we can definitely see this illusion of the perfect world. And actually, I think it's all the way up until episode 12 that Buffy tries to stay in that illusion because we don't really see her fully accept her role as a slayer until episode 12. Right, right. That's excellent. And I even, I I also feel like we've missed a little bit of the journey, right? Because... Mm -hmm. She had this previous time that she's been trying to leave behind. Right. So it's it's interesting. Maybe there's a bit of getting to stage three and then going back to stage two or whatever. You know, kind of a little <laughs> bit of oscillating around before coming coming back. But I definitely agree that the last episode, she makes gigantic progress, right? Yes, yes. Of accepting the Mm -hmm. mantle, of really taking it on. Right, which is that next to the last step, according to Schmidt, right? That rebirth or where you have um, that moment of clarity and truth. And so we definitely see that in episode 12. Oh my gosh. Not just for Buffy, but we see that for Willow as well. Yes, and oh my gosh, I just put this together. I don't think we talked about this, but when you say rebirth... Mm-hmm. And we really do see her die. And where is she when she dies? She's in water, like a baptism. Oh, wow. Yeah. So talk about additional symbolism of rebirth. Yes. Coming out of the baptismal waters, if you might say. Yeah. And re- and remember, like, after she gets out of the water and Xander's like, you need to rest. And she's like, no, I feel strong. Uh-huh. Wow. And she's cool. even in like this white dress mm-hmm. this, and they put little babies in little white outfits. And even, yes. even adults, even adults that are going through baptism are generally wearing white. <laughs> I just I saw this flash whole... of the scene from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where Art Thou? Where Art Thou? Oh, no, it's going to be a buffo day Um, (laughs) where the congregation is all in white going down to the river to get baptized. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, sorry. That just popped And in fact, in fact, that. when I was in Israel, mm-hmm. I saw kind of a mass baptism. I, mm. It wasn't that big. Was it in the 20, River Jordan? 20 or 30, it was. It was. And 20 or 30 adults were getting baptized right in the waters. I mean, talk about the place mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. So anyway, that, I wonder if anybody's written a paper about that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I have to look that up. Note to self. Okay. So, so yes. So definitely on the heroine's journey, we see her perhaps Mm -hmm. kind of stuck in a phase through most of the season Mm -hmm. and then really making progress Mm -hmm. in that last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I had summed it up in the words reluctant, then an arrow, then Mm -hmm. owning it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was my That's that was my summary <laughs> summary of her journey and reluctant really was the first 11 episodes and then owning it really was episode 12 absolutely what else did i have written down about about buffy's arc i think i mean that's the main thing right mm-hmm. and she tries so hard to be a quote normal girl being on the cheerleading squad yes wanting to date owen then you know acting like a lovesick teenager about angel mm-hmm. although i the did... unattainable the, the unattainable. unattainable i mean it isn't just yeah. owen is sort of this conventional whatever right but right. angel is very different right and yes. you know not only unattainable mm-hmm. but forbidden and there's yes. almost something Oedipus related in who is the one woman a man can never be with, right? Mm. His mother. And mm-hmm. so in Oedipus, because he doesn't know who she is and blah, 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 mm-hmm. he ends up with his mother. Well, who is, what is the one thing the vampire slayer <laughs> cannot fall in love with? The, the one vampire. forbidden thing. Yeah. And it's the vampire. And I think you just answered my question from the puppet show. Why did they pick Oedipus? Mm-hmm. I don't think we got to this point during that discussion. Nicely done. Oh, boy. Hey, am El Fuego. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are. No, you're just giving me some great. Uh, uh, this is this is very good. This is very good. The synapses are starting to fire. <laughs> <laughs> I had not written that down. It just sort of uh, came to me while we were having this discussion. Very nice. Very nice. What well, do you want to say? Anything else about uh, Buffy, or should we move on? I think we should move on. But okay. uh, her journey. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing as these things continue but we definitely we have this such stark thing happen with Mm -hmm. this rebirth Mm -hmm. right and there was definitely important stuff before the rebirth when she actually chose to go uh, after the master but now just before and after the death we see a very different empowered buffy yes okay who next well, who would you like to do next? Well, you mentioned Willow's parallel journey. So right. maybe we should go there. Do All you right. want to elaborate a little bit on the parallel that you drew? Yes. I think with Willow, 
we see her, you know, early on, she's the stereotypical nerd that is really unpopular at school and she's very quiet. She's subservient mm-hmm. to everybody. She seems to have no self-esteem. And you and you start to see that change slowly over the course of the season. And then in Prophecy Girl, when she and Cordelia come upon the carnage in that room, the student lounge, as I keep calling it, although I don't know if that's what it was, yeah, that's when she really kind of loses it. Unless, or loses her innocence is what I mean. Yes. I, as I was kind of writing down notes about Willow, I wondered why she didn't, how, oh, it's when I say this. Why, when Jesse was abducted and turned into a vamp, that didn't cause her to lose a lot of her innocence. I mean, I think she probably lost some, but she was still quite, quite the innocent after that. Definitely. Even though that was a very traumatic experience. Right. It was almost as if, I don't know. Sometimes you're in denial about the reality. Yeah, and that could so be. maybe the reality came crashing down on her in episode 12, even though the other stuff was traumatic. Right. She maybe had protection mechanisms that humans do to sort of mm-hmm. protect themselves from trauma. And those failed her right. in episode 12. Oh, that could be, right? So she goes from, you know, DeBarge abducting her friend, Jesse. Yes. <laughs> the DeBarge vampire mm-hmm. to her best friend being possessed by a hyena mm-hmm. to her virtual boyfriend turning out to be an ancient demon that ends up in a really bad robot costume. Yes. And it does. So it takes that slaughter. I was just like, girl, why did it take you so long to get there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was coming at her from every side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's something, uh, well, I was going to spoil or something. So go ahead. Well, I just wanted to push back on one aspect. Okay. That I do feel like from the beginning, she has... And does exert some power through her intelligence. And uh, you can see young woman, women, and right. it's terrible to see. You can see young women who are gifted intellectually, dismiss it, um, push it down, not show it. Right. Do the work and get the grades, but not exhibit that. And I feel she is unabashedly nerd nerdy. Yes. And I feel she has power in that. And when Xander needs help with math, she is, yes, I am good at math and I will help you. Okay. And when Cordelia wants her help, she's buttering her up. Right. <laughs> and Cordelia's like, I can see through you. What do you what do you need? Right. <laughs> well, right. I know you're nerdy enough to work with AV stuff. So right. can you do this for me. So I do feel like if she were completely a shrinking violet, right, right that right. 
that could also be subdued. And I think she owns that piece. I, I just want her to get credit for that. Right. I would I would agree. She does own her intelligence very early on. But I think that assertiveness, I mean, what you're that scene that you're talking about, right, is in Prophecy Girl. That's fair. And it's in Prophecy Girl where she re- rebuffs Xander's invitation to the dance. Would I've got to put that, that in, in episode one or two. I don't right. think so. And I've got to put that into a different classification because that is a place that she did grow. The yes. the uh, confronting Xander. I am specifically, I think Cordelia coming to her for AV help could have happened much earlier. You know, yeah. I think she oh, okay. would have reacted the same way. And definitely the math help and the, oh yeah, I can hack into the database, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and her uh, screwing up Cordelia's <laughs> computer program, which happened early yes. on. Yeah. I feel like that wasn't exerting her her superpower. Okay. All right. But, but she definitely does not exert any sort of breaking against the social order, if it will, if if you will, that she just thinks, yes, I am at the bottom of this social strata. And yeah. yes, of course, I will get out of your way from the drinking fountain. I understand that I'm lesser or whatever. Yeah. That that piece. But I think that's independent of her of her intellectual power. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Cool. Huge growth with Xander though. And I agree that what it, what often comes with a loss of innocence is maturity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think we see mature Willow say, yeah, season one, I would have jumped at the chance to go to the dance with you, even though I was second mm-hmm. fiddle, mm-hmm. but no, no, I'm going to let you know this is not okay. You yeah. can't just use me when Buffy rejects you. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Xander. I'm afraid I don't have much here. <laughs> I wrote down that he starts a douche and is a douche for most of the season. <laughs> like with most boys, I think he's going to take more than one season to grow. <laughs> I felt he was stuck. I mean, when we saw the the last episode, it's like, oh my gosh, we're here. We're still here, Xander. You still don't get it. And so I just feel like he is stuck in this gear. And I I can't give you a lot of evidence of growth. I did write down the only redeeming thing is that he resuscitates Buffy in, in Prophecy Girl. Yes. But were there any tools? Could that I, I like how you framed it before when you said, Would Willow have said that to Xander in episode three? Uh, no, absolutely not. She wouldn't have been strong enough. Well, would Xander have resuscitated Buffy in episode three? I would absolutely. argue yes. Yeah. He yeah. had that skill in episode three. Yeah. He may not have been as sure of his quote unquote love for her, mm-hmm. but. I don't know, maybe something in him. Okay, I'm going to okay, I'm going to give him this. Maybe him going to Angel for help. Mm-hmm. Maybe he grew a little bit in that before I'd been like, "No, nah, Angel, mm-hmm. even if he could help me." Mm-hmm. 
that he was like, yes, for the good of this cause, I am going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go get Angel's help. I don't know. I think it's weak at best. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did kind of note that as well, right? He was able to set aside his obsessiveness and his jealousy. Yes. To go seek help from his rival, so to speak. Yes. Yes. I, okay, great. I'm glad we have something for Xander. (laughs) (laughs) I was stretching it though. I'm like, what do I want to say about Xander? It's not that I, I mean, I, I like his, I like him as a character in the show. I think it would be a very different show without having a Xander. Agreed. I think sitting back and watching the shows from a more critical eye has made me critical about Xander. <laughs> I'm like, well, yes. uh, I'm not sure I like what I see right now. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is also male, right? Mm-hmm. In this show that is so laden with strong mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. there's a contrast there that right. we're seeing this growth and strength in these women. Right. And comparably, we have this arrested development of our lead male. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk Giles. Okay. I think his creep factor lessens. As the season goes on, there's less looming in weird ways over the female characters. Agreed. (laughs) And I think in season or episodes one and two, he's almost a little bit flighty. Mm. But he becomes, I wrote down more British over (laughs) the season. And I think they really start to play that piece of his character up, which I love. Yes. The stoic British librarian. Yes. Stuffy and reserved. So those are just a few thoughts I had written down. I agree with that. And one of the big growth pieces we see with Giles is early on, I feel like everything is about just this duty and his job, mm-hmm. which he takes very seriously, but yeah. he is a watcher. Yes. And Buffy is his tool, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we get to later in the season, like particularly I'm thinking the nightmare episode, it is revealed his depth of feeling for her. Yeah. Which I'm not sure if we want to say father figure but i i don't think that's far off that he has found his he really cares about her yes and i has great fear about her not succeeding yes and i i do remember when we were talking about that episode nightmares with that beautiful scene between Giles and Buffy Mm -hmm. I kind of remember saying that that is kind of where we really get that feeling of of what their relationship is going to be as like the father and daughter so I totally agree with what you were just saying and that that I feel is a major part of Giles's arc that he does not have that it's for me at the beginning it's all duty and job and Mm -hmm. okay this is 
what has to happen. I have very little emotion around the Slayer. This is the prophecy. This is my role. You know, all the academic pieces, but the emotional. And I think the Britishness helps play that up, right? Yes. <laughs> helps have that stifled down under the dusty books and the tea and all yes. that stuff. Yes. Except for the beef tea. <laughs> oh, yes. The bovril. The bovril. <laughs> well, it yeah. still gives me the heebie-jeebies to think about mm -hmm. it. Well, your comments were much better. <laughs> oh, well, about Giles. It's, it's not but, about better. I mean, mine was just about the creep factor. Yours were deeper, more <laughs> meaningful. Well, this is what's great about collaborating. Yes, yes. <laughs> One of us could go shallow. <laughs> you One know? of us could go a little bit more than cursory. <laughs> I love it. Well, that leaves one main character left to talk about. Yes. The fabulous yes. Cordelia. And in fact, I'm just going to state to Cordelia's credit, mm -hmm. though I do think there is at least one episode she is completely not in. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a couple, I think, actually. Yeah. She still has... The status of one of our main characters worthy yeah. of a character arc. So yeah. I just want to note that, right? Clearly, the right. other four that we've talked about, right. staples, right? every episode. Mm -hmm. And so for C Cordelia to even be in this discussion, I think is really a testament to her character as well. And plus, she's listed in the as a main character in the in the credits. <laughs> okay, but you hear what I'm saying, right? I do. A I do. Main absolutely. character. I do. Uh, is usually mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. in in the episode, unless you know there's some mm -hmm. sort of strange reason. But just mm -hmm. I think that part of Cordelia's arc is getting more and more involved. Right, right, right in the group. So that is part that is part of her development and journey throughout the episodes as well. Yeah. Starting out as almost cartoonishly stereotypical. Right. 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 I think though that her character is the most well defined early on. Okay. You know, she's gonna be the mean girl it's clear that she's a narcissist and that she is that high school royalty so to speak and that understood is played throughout everything right all of these episodes and then we get up to out of mind out of sight yes. and they kind of blow those characteristics of cordelia that we've come to expect out of the water and she displays a depth of character that was quite unexpected. Absolutely. And dare I say a fragility, mm -hmm. insecurity mm -hmm. as well that she masks incredibly well. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, what we, that's what it is, right? She's just playing this part mm -hmm. to protect herself, mm -hmm. which I thought was great. Which, of course, reminds me of that old adage, never judge a book by its cover. Yes. Yes. So, and, and that and, and... Go ahead. Oh, I just, I was thinking of another adage, like, 
don't until you walk in someone's Someone shoes, shoes you know yeah. exactly yeah many little adages <laughs> <laughs> that did that uh convey this concept <laughs> oh i do love cordelia and i i love that they kind of continue that growth in the next season excellent i look forward to that because she definitely has very deeply endeared herself to me. Yes. Like in, in episode one, you're like, you start liking her and then she starts to turn mean and everything. You're like, oh, it's that girl. And so you're like, like at least for me, my likeness of her went down. I'm like, oh, I don't like her quite as yeah. much. And then it quickly goes back up. Yes. Well, it was like you saw her two faces, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You saw what it was like if you were one of her inner circle mm-hmm. versus one of her un- untouchables, right? Or right. The unwashed masses or whatever. Right. <laughs> it was like, right. oh, wow, that is a completely different persona depending upon which of these categories she has deemed you are a part of. Right. Love us some Cordelia. Yes. And in fact, in the last episode we start to really see this bravery aspect mm-hmm. of her as well really stepping up and throughout and i think in one of the episodes i said wow you know cordelia is smart and mm-hmm. she is conscientious about her studies and mm-hmm. she is driven mm-hmm. right? right she is not just oh i need to be pretty all the time but i don't right. care about my grades right, right. she she clearly has some goals, I don't know, for college or whatever right. yeah. that I don't think are obvious at the beginning yeah. either. Yeah. I just love that out of mind, out of sight episode totally subverts. Yes, exactly. We That's, that is the expected. turning point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. I'm excited for you to see her arc in season two. Looking forward to it. All right. Are we ready? We are ready for awards. (laughs) All right. So we have a number of awards, best ofs, kind of, so to speak. Let us start with a memoriam. The character we will miss the most. If you know an episode name, you know, throw that out there as well. But I know some of mine are multiple episode things. So anyways, what character will you miss the most? Okay. So I would like to put forth my character I will miss the most. And then I'd like to give two honorable mentions. Okay. My character I will miss the most is Principal Flutie. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not think you were going to go there, but please say why. I, I think he was more than meets the eye. I liked how he wanted to give Buffy a chance. It's He's an interesting contrast of leadership and motivation to Snyder, who we have now. <laughs> Maybe he was a little bit idealistic, mm-hmm. but... He had some good lines. 
I liked his leadership and I just was very disappointed when we lost him. Now I am liking Snyder. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm getting over him a little faster than one would expect, but I really did. If I thought back through all the episodes and the losses we had, Mm -hmm. Principal Flutie was one that hurt the worst. Yeah. Interesting. And your honorable mentions? Well, Dr. Gregory. I figured. And be in there. Herbert the pig. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little bit of a funny honorable mention. But gone but not forgotten. I thought Herbert the pig had such a such a blaze to glory start. And it was just he flamed out immediately. <laughs> it was just too much for Herbert the pig. Just too much. All right. Well, my character I will miss the most is the master i have to admit i kind of went yes uh obvious <laughs> i just I, it, it missed the nosferatu vibes <laughs> yes yes and that it, i'm really glad you went ahead and went with him because obviously he was on my list inter and he's he's the most significant right. loss right. right he was right. with us through the entire season so we would be remiss if he were not at least mentioned Yeah, and I like how he could be really evil and scary and then just rip out these kind of droll lines that were hysterically funny. Yeah. So those are the things I'll I'll miss the most about the master. And I think my thought on the master was he served his purpose. Yes. I I did not feel like his time was cut short. You know, it was just like this perfect arc and then he's done. Right. And I think when we were talking about Prophecy Girl... I'm going to stick to this riff about he had to be. I mean, the big bad of season one had to be a big, mean, old vampire. Yes. And I love that they went really old, traditional Nosferatu-y type of vampire. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Best quote of the season. Okay. So would you like to go first on this? We should trade off on who gets to go first. I don't think this will come as a surprise. Mm -hmm. And it comes from Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Mm -hmm. If the apocalypse comes, beat me. If I had had to guess, this was going to be the one I thought you might say. (laughs) I'm not coming up with anything really surprising yet. But I I had a lot of quotes, but that one I just, I kept coming back to, finally said to myself, it's just got to be that one. It's just got to be. Well, I appreciate your consistency because you (laughs) told me on that episode, you said, you said, this is the iconic quote. Yeah. So, so I think, I think it's perfect. All right. And you? Okay. So I went back through all of the quotes that I had written down uh-huh. and I can't believe it, but I have to go back to season one, episode one. Wow. I cannot believe that with all of my quotes and then I kind of whittled them down a little bit, then whittled them down again. And I just couldn't let go of this one. And I'm like, Tori's going to think I just looked at the first quote that I thought was good <laughs> and then <laughs> said I'm done with it. But I promise you it was much more exo- exhaustive. And it belongs to Cordelia. Ah. No real surprise. Excuse me. I have to call everyone I have ever met right now. Oh, yay. I'm so glad it's a Cordelia quote. I, and Cordelia had other quotes that were making the top list. But that one, 
I remember rewinding it several times. I just could not get over it. And <laughs> I I just love it. Now, now there was one where <laughs> something about needing oxygen when he, she saw Angel. He's gonna need oxygen after mm-hmm. I'm through with him or something. Mm-hmm. Uh which I'm not I'm not doing it justice. Yes. But this one, the excuse me, I need to call everyone <laughs> I have ever met, right? Loved it. Just she's the queen of exaggeration, right? She's the queen yes. of narcissism yep. and the queen of exaggeration. And yes. I felt like this summed up both. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Let's move on to the next one. And okay. it, it's very similar. What's the best burn? Okay. The best burn, not season one, episode one, but season one, episode three, hmm. when, when Giles says, it's not the Giles one. Actually, this one is given to Willow. Credit to Willow here on oh. this one. Why should someone want to harm Cordelia? Maybe because they met her. Did I say that? <laughs> I thought that was a heck of a burn. Now, it's good he burn. didn't say it to Cordelia, so maybe it doesn't quite count as burn, but boy, I sure thought I felt the fire from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's fuego. I love that one. That's a great comment. Mine so- comes from I Robot You, Jane. And again, I'm going to set the original, like the comment that leads to the burn. Good. And so we have Giles saying, I'm, I'm just going to stay and clean up a little. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be back in the Middle Ages. Did you ever leave? Awesome. Awesome. I just loved that burn. She burns him a lot. Oh, I love it. I'm so glad you did that one because that one is fantastic. (laughs) And isn't it interesting that in both of our selections, they are responses to something Giles has said. Giles does not get the credit, right? This is, he's just the setup guy. Right. But in both cases, he's the setup guy. He's like the Zeppo. (laughs) (laughs) The straight man. Yes. In the comedic sense, I'm not talking about his sexuality listeners. (laughs) It's an old comedic term. (laughs) Okay. So that's a good one. That's a good one. I give you big props for that. Thanks. 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 You know, and part of it is because I love that you reminded me of it because that's so good. That is good. (laughs) She burns him right there. He is there. This is not a behind the back quote. This is a burn right at him. Yes. Now, I just realized I know I had picked a best pop culture reference. Yes. And I didn't write it down. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm like, come on, Dory. I go, what's yours? Hopefully it'll come back to me because I know okay. I put it down. Okay, because this was your turn to go first, but uh, yeah. we'll just have you go first on the next one. Yes, I do have mine. It's from actually season one, episode 12, Xander using Locutus, the Picard's mm-hmm. Borg name. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought re- that was an excellent pop, pop culture reference. When I was going back through my notes i saw that and i was like rebecca's gonna choose that <gasps> you had me pegged locutus what oh man i cannot and i think it might have been around that when i saw that and that got me off track because i was like oh rebecca's gonna choose that one what is my pop 
culture reference. It's something Buffy says, I think. Let me flip through my notes here. A few moments later. I was contemplating the red rum that Xander says in the puppet show. So then I was like, nah, nah. And then I also contemplated Xander's, does anyone else feel like we've been Kaiser Sosaid? Oh, well done. Boy, you've got some awesome honorable mentions. This is worth doing. Um, One eternity later. I think I'm going to go back to this one. It's not really the one that I was going to do because I can't seem to find it. But I know this one was in my list. Well, there's my Locutist, the Borg, where I knew (laughs) you were going to choose that one. You know what? I'm just going to go with the Masters. Cinderella reference. A dream is a wish your heart makes. That's not the one I wanted, though. Okay. Well, I Dang it. just as an you've you've done some good honorable mentions. I just want to throw in that I didn't think you'd let me count it as pop culture, uh-huh. but I have appreciated the variety of Shakespeare references throughout the episodes, and uh, <laughs> maybe that, maybe Shakespeare doesn't quite count as pop culture. <laughs> Well, I think at one point he was pop culture. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Historical yeah. pop culture. Is, yes. is, that's exactly what, what I was thinking. But they really have, even down to the word choice, Cordelia, for one of the major characters. Yes. There are, there's a lot of Shakespeare references. Yeah, there are. And I love it. I do, too. I love it. As I've said, I think multiple times, we love us some Shakespeare references. 100%. All right. Best Creature. Okay. This will get easier in subsequent seasons because I had a really hard time with this. I did too. I had to create some criteria for myself, which I will explain in my choice. Okay. But I I also had a hard time picking best creature. So my best creature have several things written down and then crossed out, but Mm -hmm. I ended up on pork and beans, vampire. <laughs> nice choice. So that's it. Okay. So it says best creature, not favorite creature. Yeah. So I have to go with Malik. I and... had him written down first. Okay. And I'm going to explain why. Okay. Because he was so multifaceted right? Mm-hmm. If he were only in his robot form, he would not have won this award mm-hmm. because I thought that was the hokiest form he was in. Yeah. I thought the fact that we had him in the Middle Ages or whatever. Oh, yeah. So we have his physical embodiment there. Yeah. Then we had this really fascinating virtual form mm-hmm. where he comes into consciousness online. And adapts from the Middle Ages to like cutting edge present day technology. Yeah. And then we have him stuffed into this physical form, which again is the least interesting of the three forms to me. But right. the fact that he was so multifaceted and uh-huh. how how strong I felt that virtual presence was and how they portrayed that, I have to give it to Malik, aka Malcolm. Bueno. Yeah, that makes sense i didn't clearly didn't think of it that way and he's not my favorite he's not my favorite he's Mm. 
the again, I'm giving points for multifaceted, and I really did find the representation of him virtually mm-hmm. very, very satisfying mm-hmm. and creepy. Yeah, yeah. Well, pork and beans. The reason I ended up giving it to pork and beans vampire is because he's also he's really creepy. I mean, he's agreed. He does a really good job, not necessarily in looks, but he's psycho. Yes, he's totally psycho. And so I did like that. That's why I ended up giving it to Pork and Beans. And he did a beautiful job assisting in the misdirect away from Colin because we really thought Pork and Beans was the chosen one. Yes. Yes. Or the whatever Colin was. The guy who leads Buffy down to the cave. The annoying one. Yeah, exactly. So I found the quote. Proceed. The best pop culture reference. And I can't believe. I forgot it because I am actually watching the show right now. I'm rewatching oh two shows. I'm rewatching Supernatural. And then when I get okay. a little tired of that, I jump over to this show. Buffy says this to Giles You, of all people, are trying to scully me. Oh, beautiful. I cannot believe. I forgot that I'm watching the damn X Files. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered it. This was worth revisiting. Ugh. I just searched through all of my notes, but I finally found it. I have too many notes. I got a stack <laughs> of notes. Ugh. Anyways, all right. Best comedic moment. I am giving this because it is, I think, the moment that I laughed the loudest. I was so struck and surprised utterly bemused and enchanted and it wasn't until the very last episode prophecy girl Hmm. cordelia driving her car through the school (laughs) to the library (laughs) well i wouldn't have like tagged that as a comedic moment but (laughs) i just thought it was so funny (laughs) i i mean it was one of those like i went are you kidding me And I think Buffy says something like, or one of them, or Willows is something like, well, uh, normally one would walk or something. I just loved it. And I thought it was very, very funny. So even if they didn't mean it to be the best comedic moment, I found it the funniest. (laughs) Well, my best comedic moment is probably, again, unsurprisingly, from the puppet show. Yes. uh, Yes. The dramatic scene. Yes, yes. I would have pegged this for you as well. I thought about putting it too, but I was like, no, this one's Taurus. (laughs) Love that one. Love it, love it, love it. I can watch that over and over and over. And I laugh every single time. And I just keep thinking that must have been a blast for them to film. Yep. All right. So on the other side, 180 degree flip, what's the best dramatic moment? And for me, that was. I don't, you know, I it's really a tie for me, okay. and I, I think I know what one yours is going to be. I bet I bet you do know which one mine's going to be. Yeah, so mine is between that and when Buffy learns her about her fate mm. because of the prophecy in Prophecy Girl. Okay, I couldn't really narrow it down. I couldn't pick just one, and I, I'm pretty sure I know which one yours is going to be. So lay it on me. And if it's not the one you're thinking of, give your second one. But I think you you do know because I really, I think I was very complimentary 
of Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance mm-hmm. of this when we were talking about the episode mm-hmm. from episode 10, Nightmares, mm-hmm. when Buffy has the nightmare about the dad saying the divorce was her fault. Yes. And her reaction to that, I think, I know it was the most emotionally moved I was during the entire season. Yeah. And for me, there was no second there. Mm-hmm. I did not even have to look at my notes for mm-hmm. this one. It mm-hmm. was just so clear, clearly impressed upon me that this, this was the most dramatic moment for me that for me that resonated with me. Right. Uh, and I knew that's what you were going to choose. Yeah. yeah. And and really it probably is the best dramatic scene if I'm really super honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. The best sleigh. Okay, so there's a couple ways this could be interpreted. Yeah, I, yes, there are a couple of ways, and I may have gone with the most obvious, but I I have to give it, I have to give it to the slaying of the master and him being impaled upon the stake and the, the lead up to, to Buffy actually destroying him mm-hmm. i just it was momentous right so maybe maybe i went momentous slay as opposed to best slay but mm-hmm. they were a little bit synonymous in my mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. i thought about that one but i really okay. ended up going with when angel slays darla oh excellent choice because you know he's killing his he's killing his sire creator mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Do women sire people? Is that the correct use of that term, or is there another word? Do they use for women? I guess they just say give birth to. Yes, it's interesting because this is a creation, right? That is, it's it's almost an infection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I I don't know what to say. I do think that sire is generally male. Mm-hmm. But for vampires, I can see why it might be the appropriate word, no matter what the gender. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, according to the definition on Google. Yes. It is. Sire is a biological father. Okay. But I know they use it for both in the show. Whether you're... I can see why. I can see why. Because it yeah. is not the same thing as the donator of sperm, right? Right. <laughs> But it's, it's the instigating, it's the instigator, right? right? I right. mean, the the literal insertion of the material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's stick with Sire, but an okay. interesting discussion. Yeah. But very well, I, I don't think that came up for me mm-hmm. as one of my potentials, mm-hmm. but I feel like it should have. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know what? I think I'm afraid I may have focused on Buffy's kills. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I gave Angel a chance on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I just was thinking about all the big the big kills. And I think for the character of Angel... It would have been a huge emotional moment, right? Because we find out, again, that she's a sire, but that they were together for centuries. And so. Yes, I'm really glad you brought that one up. All right. Ready to move to the next one? I am. We're getting close to the end here, listener. (laughs) Best recurring character. 
Okay. I wonder if we're going to have the same one for this. I think <laughs> it's your turn to go first, is it? I don't know, but I will. Okay. Um, the master. Oh, okay. It's not. A, I But well done. I'm afraid I might have thrown the master, master into a main character role. <laughs> <laughs> I went for someone much more tangential here. Okay. And was it Damien? No. <laughs> Good God, no. A.K.A. It was... Colin. <laughs> nope. No, no, he wasn't even in the running. Yeah. Oh, he wasn't for me either. I just was like, I I've already it. forgotten him. Talk <laughs> okay. about, you know, talk about character we will miss the most. How about character we will miss the least? I almost might... texted you. Yeah. <laughs> As I was doing, putting down the master for character we will miss, or uh, yeah, the master for character we will miss the most. I almost texted you and said, hey, should we do character we'll miss the least? And I was like, well, we'll both be saying Colin. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Okay, so mine only started later in the season, but absolutely love her. Jenny Callender. Yep, yep. And yeah, she's a close, close second. Okay, okay. And if she'd had a few more episodes, maybe she would have been even more uh, hands down. But right. I just thought that she was fantastic. And in fact, when I had texted you about who counts as recurring versus you know, character arc main characters. Right. Because I didn't know if Cordelia counted as recurring since right. she wasn't in all the episodes. So she was going to be my recurring. And mm -hmm. then when she was off the table, then I went for Jenny Calendar. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I, I kind of thought maybe you would pick Jenny based on some <laughs> comments you made in the yeah. earlier. I thought it was possible you'd go for Jenny as well. Well, I did toy with it. Like I said, she's a close yeah. second, but I just, yeah. I just had to go with the master. I mean, yeah. Understood. Understood. So, all right. Best main character. Okay. Well, I, oh, wait, hold on. But, oh. Now by best main character. Oh my gosh. I may not have written this one down. This is different than best actor. Yes. Because we want the character not the actor. Although mine are basically the same. <laughs> my okay. best character is my best actor as well. Okay, well, I know what I have to say. It's funny, I don't have it right in front of me, but given what I just said about I would have had Cordelia be my favorite <laughs> recurring character, I am going to go ahead and give Cordelia my favorite main character. Mm. Yeah, I I thought about that one too okay. because I've said a lot. I love Cordelia, I love Cordelia. <laughs> Yes, but, it, but it's crazy. I don't have this written down. I just must not, I just must have skipped that on my list. <laughs> yeah, I went very obvious. I went with Buffy. Okay. Which means, Under that, of course, Sarah Michelle Gellar is my best actor. Well, and it, that is who I gave best actor to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she nails it in so many different scenes. She's good at the comedy. She's amazing at the drama. She kicks ass. Agreed. Agreed. And I really do like her character as well. I just, uh, something about Cordelia, I've got to say she, and character in every sense of the word, yes. right? Yes. And whereas I do believe that the skill of Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting displays a much broader range yes. than the character, the Cordelia character. Yes. And that's probably due to screen time. <laughs> Well, that's fair. And what's asked of them. Correct. Right? The, Correct. the scenes that 
are they are given, even if Cordelia had more scenes. If they're more the same, then she's not allowed. You know, we don't see the range, the same range we saw from Buffy. Right. So that I think is our first that we have the same winner. I think so. The best actor. Yeah, I think so. And, and so- it took me no time to write that down. Either. <laughs> All right. So this brings us to our last one. Best episode of season one. Okay. This was tough. I'm going to be very interested in what yours is. I don't think it'll be a surprise. Okay. okay. It's the puppet show. Okay. Okay. Yes. I guess I should have known that, obviously. All right. Well, number one, I think it's funny. I laugh. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like, I don't really care for the kid who's supposed to be operating the puppet, but everybody, I think all of the series regulars have totally nailed their character by this, by this episode or in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's hysterically funny. I laugh a lot when I watch this episode. So the puppet show. Okay. Excellent. What, which number is that? Do you happen to have that in front of you? That is episode nine. Okay. I was going to say, is it eight or nine? Okay. So that's episode nine. Yes. Mine is a couple of episodes earlier than that. Okay. I have got to give it to the angel episode. Oh. And it's interesting because it's the one that contains your best sleigh. Right. And I was so sucked in to the deepening of the angel, what we learn about Angel's past and mm-hmm. his relationship to Darla. And he really comes into his own about his feelings with Buffy. I loved, I loved all we learned in mm-hmm. that episode. And mm-hmm. I did also just enjoy the episode. It uh-huh. wasn't because it was funny, you know, but I just felt very compelled by the episode. And we did lose Darla in that Dude. one, which was striking. Sometimes our our greatest moments come from our pain. <laughs> <laughs> that was mine. Nice. Well, Where would you do you think do you think Angel falls in the top half of the episodes for you for this season? Or? Oh, for sure. Okay, so it's I one actually, of the better ones. I almost ranked all of them. <laughs> Oh, we should do, we should do that. We should do that next season. We can do that all for 24 episodes or 22 episodes. How many episodes? Or maybe top 10, maybe top 10. Maybe the top 10. Yeah. We'll try to remember to do that. Or maybe top five, bottom five. That might be better. Let's I think that's good. Cause then you, we get both the the lows and the highs, the highs and the lows. (laughs) My brain's always already going, Oh, I know. I think I know which one they're going to be my bottom five. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is the wrap up. I am so excited for you to see season two. Well, let's get started, man. I'm ready. All right. And the first episode of season two is called When She Was Bad. (gasps) Written and directed by Joss Whedon. Okay. All right. So thanks everybody. Oh, Hey, I would know what I was going to say. Remember before we started recording and I said, Oh, I'll just be happy if we can get to 30 minutes. Uh huh. Yeah. 
we kind of blew that out the water. What did I say? I <laughs> knew it wouldn't just be 30 minutes. I knew yeah. we had plenty to say, but we had some good stuff to say. I think so. Yeah, Hopefully. thanks for thanks for doing that research with those papers. That really got my wheels turning. All right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right, okay. thanks everybody. Thanks for listening and join us for season 2. <laughs> Following in the Shallows is created and produced by the both of us. Edited by Mo. The soundtrack for the Wallowing in the Shallows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1 Rewatch is Apache Rock Instrumental by Sound Atelier. Available on Gemendo.com. You can send us feedback at witstvpod at gmail.com. That's W-I-T-S-T-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. Subscribe. And then subscribe. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Like and subscribe.